Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Shree, the CTO at PayPal, and we discuss his accidental journey to becoming a CTO, the four phases of leadership, and how to approach building confidence. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, Joel. How are you? Shri, I'm, I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Doing well. Are you uh, in San Francisco right now? I am actually around San Francisco. I'm in Saratoga. Okay. How is it opening back up? Like, What's life like there right now? Um, I would say it is, if you, if you go on the streets and on the highway, you definitely see more traffic than you did in March. But, um, you know, there is still uh, definitely a lot of caution, no doubt. I think uh, people are practicing wearing masks and, and social distance to the best they can. But, you know, there are some times when you go out on a, a walk on a trail and, and uh, you'll see people too close to each other and you get a little nervous about that. And the second wave has, I think, pulled people back into a bit of caution uh, again. But, uh, you know, the best description that I've seen of this is in March, the impact of coronavirus was so much, the fear was so much, and now the impact is that much, and the fear has reduced a little bit. Uh, so people are adjusting to the new norm. Yeah, I would agree with that assessment. I haven't articulated it like that, but that is exactly what's happening with the ratio of, of fear. Oh, man, has it impacted PayPal's business a lot? Um, look, I think uh, there is probably nothing in the world that has not been evacuated, uh, impacted by COVID-19. And I would say on the one hand, it just took the whole world by surprise. Um, there was new ways of living, new ways of working, people that were impacted and, and, and all of that. And, we, and of course, uh, as a company, we had to make a quick choice in, uh, in moving all remote and, and uh, having all 33,000 at PayPal, PayPal between employees and, and contract workers, all remote, all at the same time. Fortunately, we are a digitally privileged company. And uh, that allowed us to continue to remain productive and run the business. But not just that, we've been fortunate with the trends that we are seeing. While uh, overall household income has taken a hit and expenditure has taken a hit, uh, the proportion that has gone online is much higher. Um, so whether it is in terms of digital giving and kindness or in terms of shopping patterns online and therefore the use of payment methods like PayPal and Venmo and remittances through, through Zoom, which is also one of our companies, we've, we've seen that gone up. So I would say it's a business-wise, it's been a, a great positive trend but at the same time, there have been challenges that we have to work through in one, coping with it, and number two, figuring out how to continue to thrive in it. Yeah, it's just, it's blindsided everybody. But I, I did see that, you know, a lot of people are, like a lot of the different executives I talk to that have you know, online companies, basically everything, like activity is just going up, it looks like across the board. And so that's, you know, that's an interesting thing. And then I saw on LinkedIn, uh, yesterday, there was a report that I haven't gotten to read, but I saw the summary that was showing how the, the act of everybody going inside is actually going to propel us farther 
on our digitalization path because we're forced to improve those methods. Yeah. So, you know, uh, oftentimes you need uh, some triggers that cause habit changes and behavioral changes. Uh, I don't know if you know the story about uh, ATMs, but when Citibank first introduced the ATMs um, across all of New York, it was not like day one people started to show up at the ATM. In fact, in many cases, they didn't trust those machines. And then there was this huge blizzard in the late 80s, and banks were not available anymore. And people, of course, had to continue to live and, and, and spend. Uh, and that's when ATMs really took off. And it is similar to that, that when I look at uh, everything that's going on in the world, particularly with COVID-19 and distancing norms and work from home norms and so on, uh, there's been more acceptance of uh, digitization, uh, use of digital currencies, use of digital and online shopping and, and so on. And even those that might have resisted it before now find it to be a need in uh, one accepting and adopting that and, and getting familiar with it. And, and such. Now, I'm curious because you're talking about dig digitization. You know, you've, I did a lot of research on you. I was very excited to talk with you and hang out today. So thank you so much, man. But uh, I, I was thinking, you know, because you've been in this space for so long, you're right, eBay for several years and your PayPal and risen to the top. So you, you have this knowledge in payments. And then in that time window is when things like the Bitcoins and the digital currencies really came out. Like, what were your thoughts? Like, when did you first pick up on these, these tools? Um, in terms of Bitcoin itself, the first time uh, was many years ago, not quite during the beginning, but it was definitely before Bitcoin was, uh, it, I think it, at that time, it was even less than a dollar at that point. And I was in a car ride with somebody and we were going up to some company in San Francisco for an advisory conversation where that team needed some help with respect to scaling technology and so on. And I, I had this old colleague on the side who was sitting there going like, I'm mining this thing called Bitcoin and uh, I have this rig running at home. And I, I was curious, but not curious enough to go and actually look at it at that point in time. And then eventually I got around to reading the paper and the underlying technology got more excited about the technology because uh, didn't uh, fully appreciate the mechanics of how something like Bitcoin would become ubiquitous. It'll be there, but will it become ubiquitous and so on? And the fact that in the long term, there was a the limited supply, that, that was also a curious factor on how eventually the supply demand economics will work and, and such. But uh, that got me curious enough to where following that, I started to follow it and read more about it. And uh, eventually, with respect to blockchain, even start to experiment with it at uh, work uh, and so on. There is uh, some great technology there that, of course, has to scale to the mass of transactions that will eventually happen. And the important thing to pay attention to here is we know uh, digital currency is only a matter of when, not if. And as that happens, what has to occur in terms of the shift is that the whole complex ecosystem of finance has to work together. And what is that complex ecosystem? It includes consumers. It includes merchants. It includes platforms like us, for example. It includes governments. It includes regulators. And it includes all the underlying plumbing that already exists to move and manage money 
and the shift of all of that to a new paradigm. But like any other trend, it'll start small, it'll get adopted a little bit, you'll have very passionate people who are pushing it forward, uh, and then eventually, given that everybody's motives align in making this happen, at some point in time, there'll be a step function growth and the conversion into digital currency. Last thing I'll say on this is, it is important to understand that a, a, a lot of the current financial system and how currency works is already to some extent digitized. Like for example, if you were to say, how much money exists in the United States and how much of that truly exists in the physical form. The physical form is actually a fraction of the total money that exists already, right? So most of what happens between PayPal and providers and banks and merchants and so on, guess what? Is physical money being exchanged? No, it, it's already somewhat digital. So the trends have existed to make digitization happen over time. And it's just a matter of time before we get there. I like that. And like to make it more personal, I think about myself, like 99.99% of my money is digital. Like I don't have much cash. I mean, like like the physical paper cash, right? And so, you know, you just kind of have it for like tips or whenever, I don't know, there's just so few, I have it when I travel, like I carry cash when I travel. Um, but there's just so few interactions where you need tips or or cash. And then the apps have gotten pretty cool with like splitting bills at dinner and the technology, the point of sale system between friends, all of those things are just continually improving. Like let's say like 30 years out, right? Uh, what does payments look like then? There are a lot of things that are happening in payments. One is the digitization of uh, currencies itself is one trend. Uh, the digitization of experiences is another trend, right? And over time, what has occurred is if you look at the shopping funnel, at the beginning of the shopping funnel, at the biggest part is the consideration that all of us want to go get something. It's, the, it's our intent to discover. It's not even intent to buy. It's intent to discover. And then we go from that uh, idea of like, okay, I want something like this to you start to explore and you do searches and you get to something and you say, you know what, that seems like the right soundbar I want to buy. And now you go from the, this is the right soundbar I want to buy to figuring out, okay, where do I buy it from? Who's got the best deal and the best guarantees and so on. So you go from the what to the which, right? And then at that point in time, all the way towards the end, you add it to a cart, you do the checkout, and in the final stage is when you pay. Now let me back up. If I back up into the physical world, you walk into the store, grocery store or something like that, you go around the store, put all the things in a physical cart, you come to a checkout counter, at the checkout counter, you are going through a somewhat frictional process of closing that purchase and making a payment. Now, what's happening with payment experiences is over time, it is beginning to become more and more ambient, right? How many times do you find a subscription that you didn't know of and you're not using and you want to cancel it? <laughs> Why does that occur? Often. Often, right? Because you, you subscribe to it when you need it and it goes into the background and it's happening. And so I always have a, a fall and spring cleaning cycle on my subscriptions. But I'll give you a more uh, important trend that I see 
which is particularly in terms of ambient payments, when you think of the last ride share you took, say with Uber, mm-hmm. when did you pay? It just happens. Exactly. It just happens. And that is not accidental. That was very deliberate product design. Because all you need to do is express the intent of wanting to take a ride and have a great ride experience. And that expression of intent and getting the ride and the closure of the ride is sufficient indicator that you want to pay. Yeah. Right? So when I look 30 years from now, there is digitization of payments, digitization of shopping, digitization of uh, experiences, ambience of payments. But payments becoming ambient will also mean that it'll move into many other contexts. And those contexts are, what is that journey? The journey was, there was a store, then there was online, then there was mobile, then there was on the go, and now it'll be across all your surroundings. The smart speaker can actually conduct a transaction on your behalf and pay for it with the right security, with the right privacy and so on. Don't get me wrong, that's very, very, very important, right? Your car is now a server on wheels. Yeah. It is. I know. It is processing more data than your phone or your laptop because it's it's guiding you, it's navigating you, it's doing doing so many things. Now, can the car actually become a device for commerce? I think it already is. Like, for example, your Spotify subscription is running your Tesla at times. (laughs) That's true. So what will happen is commerce will become contextual. Commerce will uh, surround you wherever you are. And instead of this historical context of you went to the store, the store starts to come to you. And this store is not just one store. It's an unlimited shelf of all things around the world that is now instantaneously accessible to you where you are without the need to go somewhere. Oh man, I love it. You make me, you're making me think big. You're getting me excited about the future. You think back like 110 years ago, we just started to get electricity and now we're here, you know? And what's going to, do we make it? I think Elon Musk, Neuralink, I think that's gonna make it so we can save our state before I die. Like I'm 32, you know, I think in the next 30, 40 years, we're gonna have something either early or there. What do you think? You think I'm wrong? Think I'm crazy? The thing is, I think um, technology is a powerful construct. Uh, We've seen uh, great positive outcomes come out of technology, but at the same time, technology, if not properly managed, can uh, become an issue. So this is where the human paradigms of ethics and integrity and the right kind of approach for inclusivity uh, and so on has to guide how the power of technology is harnessed for the greatness of in, in terms of experiences and products and services for all of us. So um, it's always the human machine combination. It's not human by itself, it's not machine by itself. It's the combination of the two that can create a powerful future on top of the ones that we have already seen. We've seen some amazing things in our lifetime. I know. And I would say I, I count on technology to continue that journey 
and all of us to play a role in shaping that as we go forward. So we'll go ahead and say yes. We'll say <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm excited. You like the future? What are you excited about? Like what, what sort of like future are you very excited about? You like SpaceX? I, I love SpaceX. And uh, uh, as you can see from my background here, I've got a little bit of Star Wars and a little bit of Star Trek going. Oh, nice. That's, a app, that's an old Apple computer. Yes. It's an old Apple Etsy and uh, classic. And uh, you probably see some candlestick phones too. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I respect uh, technology a lot, old and new. And, and I think when I, when I think of the, the future, uh, one, of, uh, one of the best pieces of work that I've read is a book called uh, Factfulness from Hans Rosling. And Hans Rosling talks about the, the optimism around all the things that have happened, uh, whether it is in terms of uh, poverty eradication or education and, and things of that nature. When I look at the future, what I get most excited about is the concept of equal opportunity to everyone. And uh, we can already begin to see that. Like if you were to look at uh, education and what's happening there, for you to actually gain a level of uh, medium proficiency on any topic today, you don't have to go and approach a class or a school or something of that nature. Don't get me wrong. I think education, the formal education part is very important. But what formal education really teaches you is learning how to learn. And you take the skill of learning and now you apply it to all things you do in life. No matter what topic today, I can, I can like literally through a web search land on enough content on it, filter it based on reputation and start learning about it almost right away. We, we know of experiments where there are organizations that have left a powered laptop or a powered uh, tablet in the middle of a, a village with not too many means for education. And what they've found is people around there figure out how to start using that and start to get to uh, the things that they need to get to very quickly. Now, that equalization where knowledge and education and awareness becomes much more accessible, I think is the key to a more inclusive world in the future. One where there is, we, we start to bridge a little bit of the gap between the haves and have-nots. It'll take a long time. I completely get it. But I think meritocracy should be based on capability. But the access to education to get to that capability should become something that everyone has anywhere they are in the world. Yeah, because then, then it's just up to drive and desire. You, you empower more people. It becomes distributed. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I like the way you think. Do you get to do a lot of interviews and go on a lot of shows and talk? Uh, I, this is not my most comfortable thing. I'm a geek. Uh, I'm, yes, Dude, I'm, it's just I'm, me. It's just you and me hanging out. It, it, it is you, Joel. I think uh, it's you that's getting the best of me here. No, I mean, I didn't, before I started this podcast, I hadn't listened to podcast. And oh. when we, yeah. And then when we started it, I was just like, all right, let's talk about some things we're interested in. I was writing a book at the time. And I just said, yeah, there's some topics in the book, you know, and I want to just hang out and talk with some people. We started recording them. Someone suggested that we actually turn the recordings into the podcast. And so it was pretty exciting. And then I, the first time I had been on someone else's podcast, I was like, whoa, it was such a strange experience. 
and because uh, the whole format was different they were like one version of themselves and like no disrespect to it like it was great experience but they were like one version before the interview and then like then they're like okay we're gonna record now and then they just like their voice kind of changed and the entire atmosphere was different i was just like "Ooh, this is weird and then i did more and more interviews and i found out that i'm the odd one like most of the interviews are like that and i said no i want it to be like we're hanging out because that's how i want to spend my time you know we do hundreds of these and so i'm like i just want to hang out i want to get to know Shri, see what he's interested in and uh geek out is that a uh, 3d printer back there it is uh it is a 3d printer back there and uh uh, it's my third one, uh, one that finally actually was productive for me. The first two didn't uh, work out well. It's me and my 14-year-old son that use it. And on this side here, if you look at the shelves that's a bit colorful, mm -hmm. uh, those are all the 3D prints. Uh, oh, that, nice. That, uh, and, and so far, we just play around with models. But, you know, if you're talking about projects, the one that I'm most excited about right now is this. What is that? This is a set of Raspberry Pis. There is four Raspberry Pi 4s and one Raspberry Pi 3. And this 5 is going to be my Kubernetes cluster. And it's a rack, as you can see. Yeah, you built like you 3D printed a Raspberry Pi rack. No, no, this is not 3D printed. This was assembled oh, using parts that are available. But this is me... Uh, trying to get very familiar with what's going on in the world of Kubernetes and how I can use that in in small things that I do at home. Does your does your son get interested in that, or is he just interested in the 3D models? Uh, over time, he has uh, gone from a lot of interest in science to now a lot of interest in art. Um, oh, cool! So he's uh, he's taken on to piano and violin more uh, as a as a runner. So he's. Uh, figuring out how to reduce his mile time and things of that nature. So varied interests, but I'm a geek. Yeah. No, were, when, you were, when you were a kid, did you think you would grow up to be a CTO or did you just know that you love technology? No, Joel. Um, I often tell people that I'm here by accident. And what I'll also say to you is I'm here because of failures. And while that may feel su surprising, let me walk you through it. Um, my intent as a teenager was to become a pilot in the Indian Air Force. And I made a few attempts at it, and uh, it, it was a great process to go through. It made me a better individual. But I, I, I tried about three times at the, at the end of the third one. Uh, my dad told me, like, look, you've tried three times. Like, I mean, how long is this going to go on? And... He convinced me to go take the engineering entrance exam at that point in time. And by the way, this was one year after all my buddies were already in college. I, I, I took a break of one year trying to pursue that. And I wrote my engineering entrance uh, exam and got into engineering school. And at the end of the first year of engineering, I was given the option of either buying a motorcycle or a computer. And... Uh, keep in mind, this is the early 90s. It was 1992, if I remember right. And uh, buying a computer and having a computer at home was like, no, no one ever thought of that. And this was a PC with a 320 kilobyte floppy drive that I got with a, with a CGA monitor, not a VGA monitor, but a CGA monitor. In fact, you put your boot disk in, got the computer up and running, put the programming disk in, you programmed. And if you messed around with memory and it, the whole thing came crashing, 
lose all your work, start all over again, right? But you know, what it teaches you is, you know, you, you train hard so you can fight easy. Yes. Right? Uh, those experiences were formative for me and I l- fell in love with computing. And uh, as I continued to program and learn new programming languages, I would also open up the desktop and look internally and pull out cards and put them back in. And uh, within about a year of owning the computer, I was assembling and selling computers to other people who wanted computers and didn't want to pay retail. So that's how I got into computing. And um, that doesn't mean that set me up for a CTO. I've, I've had uh, various other things. And this is where it's easy for someone to think of a career as just a single path upward. It's not. I know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There's a place where you move upward, sideward, downward. And I've had all of those transitions uh, in the, uh, in the two, a little over two decades so far. And when people ask me, like, hey, would you change anything about what you went through? I go, nothing, nothing. Everything that happened, good and not so good, is actually all good when you look at it in retrospective. And uh, I'm thankful for the opportunities. I'm thankful for the successes. I'm thankful for the failures. I'm thankful for the learnings. Uh, because I think, um, and, and that's a journey still. Learning every day is what I get excited about. That's what makes me spring out of bed to get to work is because there's going to be some new learning every single day. And that's what I love. I like how you talk. And I, and I read your content too. And I like, you know, you said uh, train hard, fight easy. Another one of your articles had some really good fire line. I call them fire lines, like internally over here on, on our production team. But you had follow your curiosities, embrace every opportunity to lead. So when I, when I see people that do this, I'm going to share a little bit about, you know, my backstory. And then I'm curious to how you know, that connects with you. So, you know, I, my parents, dad was an engineer, uh, mom, stay at home mom. So, you know, growing up, you know, dad worked a lot, you know, mom, mom was really busy with like PTA stuff. I wouldn't say that I had like a lot of mindful influences and I wouldn't even say that mindfulness was a real popular thing back then. But, you know, as I grew up and I started to do difficult things or difficult things happened to me and I had to make the choice whether I was going to let it hold me back or propel me forward, I developed this sort of con- like navigation system. And then I found that there were resources out there, personal development resources, people who think positively different authors, different public speakers. And then I found out, you know, the importance of environment. And I'm like, okay, now I'm, I can, can, I can't make myself have exactly what I want in a snap, but I can create an environment that'll get me in the right direction. And so I, I sort of accumulated and learned all of these things through, and I'd say if I look back on it, all of those big movements usually were was where something like really difficult happened and I had to figure out how to get through it. So I'm curious for you, did, did it follow that same trend or did you grow up with mindful people and you just kind of mimic that behavior and that was useful for you? Like, how did you get involved with uh, developing yourself? You know, um, like I was not always ambitious uh, in, in terms of growth. And I think there were uh, certain failures I had both in my career and my, in, my, in my life that caused uh, call it that propulsion to occur. But if, if I were to package that whole thing into one cohesive uh, narrative, I would say that what I've noticed is four 
phases of leadership. And um, allow me to take the long path to answering your question. Please, yeah. Uh, the first phase is a phase of effectiveness. This is where your skill, uh, you're building skill a lot, you're figuring out ways of working with each other and on a team and so on. This is about outputs and finishing projects and, and managing well if you're managing people at that time and, and so on. And that quadrant is the first quadrant of leadership, and I call that the quadrant of effectiveness. You have to be an effective manager as you start growing. Now, what happens with effective managers is people notice that they're delivering, and the ecosystem, whether it is the world as a whole or the company, starts to give them more opportunities. And now these folks find themselves, all of us, in a place where we need to scale, right? Effectiveness got you opportunity. Now opportunity makes you scale. Now what is scale? Scale is just like in technology. If PayPal received only a million payments, we'd be of a certain scale. When we receive 50 million payments a day, that's a different scale. Now, can you run 50 million payments with the same infrastructure that you ran 1 million with? No. So how about you as a person? You as a person, can you actually scale to the new opportunity with the same capabilities that you had with the previous one? No. And this is the, that whole concept that's uh, made very popular by the book, what got you here won't get you there, right? And so it becomes a continuous learning journey in how do you get better. In, and in that quadrant of scalability, you're thinking about, okay, how do you manage uh, crises and conflict? And uh, how do you manage change? Uh, how do you lead through other leaders? And how do you put design patterns in place that allows you to be effective at a larger scale? That is what scalability is, that second quarter. Now, keep in mind, I already talked about a fair amount of learning that you have to go through. Because if you're not learning continuously, you're not ready for the new game that you're in each day. The third phase is actually, in my mind, the most important phase and is relevant to the points that you brought up. And this, unlike the previous, the previous ones are all about demonstrating to the world what you can do. The third phase is where you have scaled enough and you have more opportunities to come, where you start to doubt yourself a little bit. You're saying like, really, am I, am I capable of doing this? Can I, will I learn? Like, why are these people being so critical about some of the choices I'm making? And the journey turns inward. Now, suddenly you go from demonstrating to everybody else what you're capable of to creating a little bit of confidence for yourself to say you're capable of more. This is happening for a reason. It's a moment. It's, it's actually a window of time in reflection. And I often talk about, you know, in the first two quadrants and continuing, it, there are leadership is a lot about what you do. But in this phase, you start to realize leadership is a lot about what you become. And that's where mindfulness kicks in. How do you manage time? How do you delegate even better? Like, how do you manage the stresses of every day? Like, how do you deal with the expectations people have of you? How do you deliver to people who are expecting you to be more than you really are? And that starts to change you internally. First of all, your identity moves inside. 
because you become your own self-critic in a, in a hard way. You're harsh with yourself. I, I know. I had a talk with myself the other day about being too hard with myself. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's a balance too, right? You, I mean, you shouldn't overdo anything, including being critical of yourself. If you, if you get past all of these things, so effectiveness, scalability, resilience, now you get to be a transformational leader where you're inspiring. You have a followership of people long beyond you holding a title or a role at a company and so on. Even after you're done, people still reach out to you for advice and help and so on. And that journey, look, I am no master in this journey, but it's that journey that excites me. Not every day is going to be great. In fact, now what happens is that the moment you hit a tough spot, you don't get scared and anxious. You get excited because you know on the other side, there'll be a better you and a better leader for your people. So I know that was a long-winded... No, I feel like we're best friends. I feel like I've known you for a long time. <laughs> no, you know what? So to get real what you were touching on there at the end is you know what i'm going through right now like what i'm experiencing in my personal development is i think there's this bittersweet moment when you get what you want like if you have this hard goal and you've been going after it and going after it you and get what you want but I, you know i kept setting bigger goals and bigger goals and then you know a couple of weeks ago i was talking to my wife and she's like yeah you seem a little down lately and i, and I just said like my life is the my life is the most perfect version of it and i don't know what to do now and i was like a little sad and so i was like all right hold on a second when i'm doing the sub goals i always get in trouble because i see myself approaching it because it's a very tangible goal it's like one specific thing and so i see myself approaching it i get like 80 percent there and i'm like okay let me make sure i have goals set up after that so i can like chain them together because i know what happens when you accomplish a goal but when you accomplish like this collection of so many things and it's just like you're here and it's like, all right, well now, now what? And to add to the complexity of that, you know, I, I've always known about myself that I'm very slow with confidence, but once I have it, it's cement, like it's there. It takes me so long to get it, especially with, like with engineering. I mean, I, I wrote code every day of my life, for, like 17 years. I mean, it took me 10 years to get like confident with it. But once I got it, I got it. And, uh, you know, going through those growth stages is, I don't know, it's, it's so interesting. That's beautiful. Look, I think uh, I, I, you're right. It feels like we've known each other for a long time, even though I think we only started talking about like <laughs> 40 minutes ago or something like that. Yeah. Uh, the, the reason is I've always struggled with confidence. Always. And I would say I still continue to in many cases. And at the same time, what I've discovered is confidence is actually a cumulative trait. And it comes from giving yourself permission to fail and therefore take risks. So if you give permission to yourself to fail, then you start to take one risk. And in, in most cases, it works because what you're going to do, given, being, given yourself critical, is you'll bring the best you, you, will, you will be buttoned up and you will overdo what is needed to succeed. Now, you took that risk, you succeeded. Your confidence is a little higher. And now you take a little bigger risk. And, and a little bigger, a little bigger. And by the way, you'll hit a point where you'll have a failure. But 
Now you're on the sixth step of the ladder coming down to the fifth step. You're not dropping down to the bottom. And you will remember memories of each one of the four steps where you made the move up. And that gives you the confidence to get back up again. In fact, I talk about four ingredients for success. Uh, one is IQ. One is EQ. The third one is CQ. And the fourth one is grit. What's the CQ? You want to take a guess? Curiosity quotient? There you go. That's it. Oh, nice. Yeah. So emotional quotient is the biggest portion. Um, and that's important to know. And emotional quotient is actually more uh, discovery of yourself than discovery of others. But curiosity is what continues to give you momentum and energy. Knowing more and more and more about technology, about people, about business, about world, and so on. Two points I want to make that was triggered by, inspired by what you said, which, which I remember from, from before is, I used to think that the potential is a fixed line and your performance moves up to meet potential. I have come to realize over the last five years that potential is changeable. And each time you reach that limit, your horizon is bigger. Your ability to visualize is bigger. Your realm of opportunity is bigger. And you sometimes discover you have potential is a discovery journey. It's not a, when I was three years old, there was this potential and that's it, right? So potential is also a changing thing. Second is uh, John Rainey, who is our CFO and, and a, a great colleague of mine. You know, in one of my first conversations with him, this was probably in, 2015 or early 2016, he talked about this concept of legitimacy values and legacy values or eulogy values. And there's some time in life where it shifts. You, you go from, uh, I want this success, I want this compensation, I want this fame, to you shift and go, I want to make a difference in the world. And that is a never-ending goal, <laughs> right? So, um, like I said, I mean, this conversation is, is fun because there is so much mirroring that is going on in the things that you're saying and, and the fact that I, I think of it the same way. So this is great. Thank you. Yeah, when I, liked, I like how you describe potential. I haven't heard that before, but I feel it. So, you know, I, I, I like when I hear people articulate things that I know are true and I'm like, ah, those are the words that I need to be using. And it's interesting too, because I'm really interested in psychology and understanding myself. It's just, it's, it's like a hobby of mine. And when I get to the moments, I found that I have like a cool feature, <laughs> if, if you will, like an underline, like a core program feature. And that is when I get down the, the moment I have awareness of, oh, I'm in a bad spot or I'm down or I'm not doing my best instantly. My it's like, re it's reflexive. I'm like, now I know what to do. It's, it's that moment between being down and realizing you're down. That's the difficult path. And then I realize it and I hit it. I'm like, I have a series of strategies to start executing, Beautiful. but then there's a new problem. And so I'm curious for you to counsel me on this new problem. So let's say that potentially you achieve something that you thought would take you 30 years, but then you achieved it. And now you realize that you've done something impossibly difficult. So you know your limits and you know how you can push yourself and you know what you can achieve and what time span. And then you look ahead and you say, okay, I've got another 30 years and I know I could do 
virtually anything like the impossible. Well, that opens up this new problem of selection for me where I have so many available paths and it's, it's almost like this is new for me. So the past couple of weeks, I'm just like, I'm overstimulated by all the possibilities of all the things that could be done. Yeah, no, um, you know, that is absolutely true. Look, the thing is, I don't think um, when I started as an engineer, I thought I'd be a CTO. In fact, I didn't even dream of it. Leave alone aspire or have an ambition. I didn't even dream of it. It was, I, I believe in this concept called micro ambitions. And micro ambitions is about at best planning one or two next steps, not creating this like long-term destination that you're trying to get towards. But sometime in my career, I, I decided, you know, and this was like not probably less than a decade ago that I decided, you know, CTA, CTO will be a good destination to get to. And you get to CTO and you're having fun with that. It's, it's great. It's amazing, right? And then you start to realize that the motivators are not any longer about a destination. It becomes more about the journey. And what makes the journey great? And if you start to study that a little bit, um, uh, you may be familiar with this uh, concept, Japanese concept called Ikigai. No, I haven't heard of that one. So let me walk you through it. There is a beautiful intersection of four things. One is, what are you good at? Second is, what you love. And keep in mind, those are not always the same. Sometimes what you're good at is maybe not what you love, and what you love is may not be what you're good at. But let us say, so what, what you're good at, what you love, what the world needs, and what can you get paid for? If something falls right in the intersection of those four things, that is what is called Ikigai. And I, I strongly have come to believe that what I do is right in that intersection, which is why I use terms like literally spring out of, springing out of bed to yeah. get to my daily work because it, it's, it's got passion, it's got purpose, it's got compensation, and it's got relevance, all of it. Yeah. And, and of course, there's competence that is involved, but competence can be built. You can pick more and more skill. And, and, and so um, my, maybe, maybe a couple of things I can advise you on is one is uh, go on a discovery and figure out all the opportunity first, increase the surface area of learning and figure out all the things that are possible. And then use Ikigai and drop it on that placemat to say, okay, where do these opportunities fall? And if it falls there in the center, then the chance that you'll succeed, be satisfied, be happy, and make an impact is, is probably the most maximized. I, ho I hope that makes sense. Yes, no, this is really good. If you hear me typing, I'm taking notes because you're absolutely brilliant. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, yes, you know, I... I love that. I like I like that concept of increasing the surface area, running that exercise. And then I was tying it back, you know, strongly to purpose. So some of the things I'm exploring right now is I'm really excited about quantum computing, right? I'm not I don't have a strong mathematical background from school because I am highly incentivized based on what I'm curious of. Like I will go achieve I don't it doesn't matter how complicated it is. If I'm curious and I want to know, I just find a way to figure it out. 
and I was, I've been very interested in quantum computing. I started taking uh, linear algebra classes online because that's like the basis of it. And so as I was watching that, I was just like, it's like, I, if I could go back to my past self <laughs> in school, like, if you want to be interested in that, this is how you get yourself, this is how you can design a system so you're interested. But so I, I know I'm interested in there because I'm, I think it's the future. And one of the, the, the things that I think about a lot is, you know, where could I make the most impact, right? And then I also pull it, it's like I think about where I can make the most impact, what I'm excited about, but I also think about my 24 hours. It's something I think a lot about. It's like, what is the routine in which I'm the best version of myself? Not necessarily the happiest, because to be the best version of yourself, you often have to do things that aren't, you know, exciting. But so I think about that, how I want to spend my 24 hours. And I think about what the world could use. And I, right now, I, I believe I'm just in a, a stage because I was talking to my wife last week and I said, hey, I think I need to go like on a walkabout. And it's the worst time ever because of the coronavirus. <laughs> I was like, I need to go like wander around in the mountains for a week because that is a tactic that I have that when I'm lost, when I feel a sense of lost, I can go wander and then my brain does some background processes that need the mountain pack, you know, <laughs> and, and then I just come out with something good. That's all. Yeah. Look, I think the, um, there is a concept called deep work, uh, which you may be familiar with. Is that Cal Henderson, I think? Maybe? Yeah. Cal Newport. Yep. Cal Newport. Yep. Cal Newport. And uh, Cal Newport talks about how the most creative of people practice deep work. And unfortunately, the race that all of us are in in life often takes away from the ability to do deep work. You do very shallow, but very efficient work. And the push for efficiency often causes us to not pursue deep work. And if you were to step back and create pockets of time dedicated to that, when you hear about Bill Gates taking a week off to go read all the papers that he needs to read, what is that? That's deep work, right? And uh, many times deep work happens in isolation uh, when you practice quietness, right? But before you get into a deep work phase, my recommendation would be if in the area of uh, pursuit, like for example, quantum computing, very quick research will give you who the experts are in the world. And before you go into your thinking phase, if you can actually participate a little bit in the absorption phase and meet with all of them. And I, what I've found in my professional networking is when you reach out to people, you know, seven out of 10 will meet you. They'll talk to you. They'll share right? Equip yourself with all of that and then go into travel, tra travel, walk the mountains, think deeply, but with hmm. a subconscious context, including all that you've learned through those contexts. No, I like that. I like that. I, I actually was thinking we're on the same wavelength, my friend, because I just uh, talked with the team and I said, you know, we're going to have a quantum computing topic, like a, a couple of weeks of it. And so I got to speak with the head of quantum computing at Honeywell and uh, Tony, and they just built like one of the world's fastest quantum computing systems. So I got to, to talk with him. And then I got to talk with uh, a guy over at IBM that heads up the, I think Rob Suter 
Robert Suter. And so those two people kind of, you know, got the spark going. And uh, now I'm just, I feel like there's going to be so much promise and quantum computing. And it's so early that uh, if I, if I look at something like, okay, what's, what would be around in my life and relevant that I would like to marinate on for 10 or 15 years, I'd see quantum computing as something that's actually pretty useful to know about. Yeah. Look, I think um, quantum is one of the great trends and uh, we have a little bit of research going on on that. Not quite as advanced as an IBM or something, but we, we subscribe to a lot that's going on in the industry. And the way I think of it is we often try to uh, think of these as solutions in the context of problems we know today. And that is absolutely the incorrect way to think of it. The correct way to think of it is these are solutions that will unlock the ability to solve problems we've not been able to solve before. So we need to go out of the context and the bubble of problems that we deal with today to think of problems that this can solve to achieve that mission that I was talking about before, which is get to doing great for humanity and the world and, and so on. So uh, in quantum, like mo most of us spend time in thinking about not just making today's world incrementally better, but about solving things that can actually be disruptive solutions for good in, in the future. Yeah. Oh, that's actually interesting because I was thinking the wrong way. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, I love that perspective. I love when people open up my mind. It makes me feel so good. That's a, that's a really unique perspective to have. You know, what solutions are this, like future problems is this going to be able to solve? That's good. So another thing about the 24 hours that I'm, I'm curious to know for you. So when I was going through this like whiteboarding session of my life in the future and what I'm going to do and trying to create this like mind map of things that are important to me, I found that my work day is most enjoyable when I'm around talented expert people because I feel this like frictionless state of flow and everyone's like championing the ideas and we're like, but they're also people that can not only ideate, like think of ideas, but they can also execute flawlessly. So I know that we're going to walk away from this meeting. We're all going to push it forward. And so for me, being an entrepreneur, we've got a company, we've got about you know eight people now. And so I've been like close, like carefully with every dollar I have investing in the, in the highest quality people to bring them as close as possible to me. And I realized that bringing those people in that's like how I like to spend my time because like money will go away. Once you have like your base cost covered, it's like, okay, well I could spend my, like, how can I spend my time? Because even if, if you have infinite money, you still have to do something. Yeah. No, look, I, I, I agree with you that the best moments of any day are when I, I, I call the activity geeking out uh, with uh, people. And one of the things that I do in the way I work is in any company, there's always a primary operating system based on the reporting relationship. There are people that report to me and the people that report to them, there's, there's a bit of a hierarchy. That's the primary operating system. I actually think about a second operating system where those reporting relationships don't matter. You actually pursue and build a network of people that are good at certain things and, and have a way of bringing in unique ideas. In fact, you're not even looking for people like you. You're looking for people right. unlike you, right? That you can spar with 
and you can have a conversation with. And those conversations are the ones where creativity happens. Invention happens, right? And that's the reason, because you're in the act of creating is why you feel so satisfied about those conversations. And sometimes it's the, it's the insight that hits you and you go, oh, yes, that is so right. And in fact, those kinds of insights last forever. You'll never forget those things, right? So um, the, the, the act of creation, particularly in engineering, is a communal activity. And creating that secondary operating system or the right kind of people to interact with who will actually push you to the edge of thinking even, right? And that, that, is, that, that, that whole act is very satisfying. The ones you look back at and smile and go like, yeah, that, that was awesome. I felt great. Oh, you're, this is exciting. Okay, so in a couple months when this whole lockdown stuff is, or whenever we're back, I go out to San Francisco like three or four times a year. So I'm going to let you know when I'm out there because it'd be great to, to say hello for a couple minutes, get a tour of the office or have some lunch or something. Absolutely. Uh, we can hang out over dinner or I can uh, host you on campus when the campus opens and uh, uh, show you various things uh, that we do that'll be pretty interesting. Like we have, a, we have an amazing um, PayPal command center, which is the front line for all of our reliability. Right, or we have a shopping showcase where we imagine new ways of shopping and create some prototypes of that. So, uh, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, so as we start to wrap up, I have a hypothetical fun question for you. Okay. All right. So let's say you're out there driving in your Tesla, and you're at a stoplight, and up next to you pulls up Elon Musk. Okay, and. Uh, so you guys start talking, hanging out. He's like, oh, you're the C2 at PayPal. I, I used to you know, know, know a thing or two about the company. And you end up going back to his place, and he wants to show you something cool that he's working on. And it's not the Tesla 2020, unfortunately. <laughs> it looks like it's going to be like the 2023. But you start get, he opens up this curtain, and he's got this time machine. Now, here's the deal. This time machine takes you exactly back to when you were failing trying to become the Air Force pilot. And you get about like one minute to give yourself some advice. What would that be? Uh, you know, I'll probably disappoint you with this response, but there is nothing about my life that I actually want to change. Nothing. What insight would you give? Like, let's say you don't change anything. What would you whisper? Even if it was just a word, like, yeah. what would you say to yourself? I, I, I would say, I think the advice I'd give myself is believe in yourself. That's it. I love it. <laughs> Yes. So yeah. some strange older version of me walks up and says, believe in yourself. Be like, oh, there's future version. It must have worked out all right because they didn't want me to change anything. <laughs> yeah. It, because like you and I discussed, both of us discussed this, um, confidence is often the barrier to the pursuit that we have. And removing those constraints can actually maximize us and let us thrive in ways that we may not even be able to imagine now in spite of success that we might have had. And so it's about that belief in yourself, belief in your ability to learn, belief in your ability to build and be creative and be human and in collaborating. That belief is very important. Belief that you can do. I think that's like the mic drop moment. That's like the best way to end it. 
You're amazing, Sri. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. Joel, I enjoyed this conversation thoroughly and uh, thank you for the opportunity. And I look forward to hanging out outside of this podcast sometime. I Absolutely. feel like I've known you for decades. That's my goal. When I find great people, hey, I did have one question though, um, because a couple people have been asking me about like 3D printers and stuff. Do you know what type that you ended up with that you like? Uh, this is a Dremel, uh, but it's already four years old. I would probably go with something better at this point in time. I've not done that research yet, but there are some amazing 3D printers out there now. This, I would call this still a, given where things are now, this is a starter. Uh, this is, a, but it's a Dremel. A Dremel. All right, cool. Yeah, because I was, I was curious about that. And then some of my friends, they have, like, my kids are young. My kids are, you know, three and uh, one, one and a half. And so some of my friends have kids that are like 12, 15, 16. And we talk about like, you know, the Raspberry Pi starter kits and everyone just keeps saying, oh, you know, I got a cheap one. And it was kind of a piece of junk when it comes to the 3D printers. And then there's different types. And so they have, people always ask me like, do you have a recommendation? These are stable. They are great. I've never had a problem with a print. I've printed more things with them, this than the previous two. Uh, and I'm sure this is already an older version of Dremel. There's new versions of Dremel, but they're a, they're a good company and I've loved it. Nice. All right, buddy. Have a fantastic day. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.